Welcome to Carry the Mat, where we pursue meaning in life, legacy, and leadership. Join us as we seek to learn some of life's most difficult yet valuable hard-earned lessons from men and women who have experienced obstacles and victories firsthand, striving to serve one another based on our unique God-given abilities, not interested in merely talking about it, but determined to be about it. If that sounds like you, then let's carry the mat together. Every man dies, but not every man truly lives. Now to your hosts, Ben Brandenburg and Daniel Moss. This is Carry the Mat. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Carry the Mat podcast. I'm Daniel Moss here with my fellow host, Ben Brandenburg. Boy, do we have a good one for you all today. We had the pleasure of sitting down with damn good dog, Brandon Boykin. Brandon Boykin uh, had a stellar career at UGA playing defensive back for the University of Georgia. Also, quite the punt return and kick return specialist, uh, running a blazing 4.440. And he continued that career after advancing to the National Football League, where he spent the majority of his career as an anchor on the defense of the Philadelphia Eagles. Brandon, we are so pumped to have you sit down with us today, man. It means a lot to us. I'm going to go ahead and kick it over to my co-host, Ben, who has known you much longer than I have. I think you all probably know each other back since your uh, early days as a freshman walking North Campus, uh, 2009 maybe. But um, yeah, we'll we'll go from there. And uh, man, just thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, Brandon's credentials on the field speak for themselves, but I've gotten a chance to know him off the field and... He really has uh, the ability to impact those around him, and um, he's such a hard worker. And uh, I've just learned a lot from watching him over the years, and um, I'm lucky to call him a friend now. We work together up at Georgia. And, um, yeah, I think we've got a lot, of, a lot of ground to cover today, but we're excited to have you here, Brandon. And um, why don't you give us a quick update on you and uh, wh- what life is like right now on your family and a quick rundown on life and uh, what you're up to right now. Yeah, man. First off, appreciate y'all having me on, man. It's a it's a pleasure and a privilege to be a guest. Um, BB, you know you're my guy, and and uh, you know I I, uh, I I'm up in Athens a lot now because I'm kind of back and forth uh, with the Bulldog Club. You asked what's going on, so I'll just kind of dive into it. I'm I'm kind of back and forth with the Bulldog Club, and then working uh, <clears throat> in football a little bit with Kirby doing events and stuff. And so uh, that's been that's been awesome man being able to kind of come back to Athens um uh, life-wise I'm f- completely finished playing I finished probably maybe close to four years now which time flies but um I'm back here in uh in Atlanta the, the Atlanta area um Fayette County where I kind of grew up and, and me and my my family are settled here so um it's been cool man you know when like when you're young and you say like ah oh, you know I'm never coming back to a certain place and like I left Georgia, I got drafted to the Eagles, and then I, you know, played everywhere, and I went to L.A., and I used to say, like, I'm never coming back, and, and like, here I am, I am, like, back, back where I grew up. Um, it, it's funny how life comes full circle, but, man, a tremendous blessing just to be back and, and have my family around, so uh, life is good, man, cannot complain. So, Brandon's a guy that, after his playing days, really let himself go. Um, you know, he really just got out of shape, stopped working out, got lazy. Uh, just kidding. This guy is absolutely shredded and, uh, has never, never missed a workout a day in his life. But, uh, that's just one of the many ways I feel like we're connected, Brandon. Um, you know, um, it's BB. Um, I know we got the same nickname, number two, 
both play DB. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of common ground that we have. Um, I can't dunk like you. One thing we did run across, um, when we were researching, um, you is, uh, you know, looking up your highlights was a dunk contest from back in the day and, uh, you were absolutely throwing it down. And, you know, I feel like a lot of the best dunkers are guys that, um, aren't the le- aren't the tallest guys, you know, the guys, just a lot uh, of that compact and springy, yeah, you know, up and throwing it down. Uh, Vince Carter to me is the best, um, the best dunker of all time. I, I, yeah. I, I don't think he's that tall, but, um, but, 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 but yeah, the man. dude is tall though. You know, like I actually, I saw him like three weeks ago. He's every bit of like six, seven, which is crazy. Cause he looks like, like, six feet on the court but uh well uh us three are like five foot ten so uh, i'm five seven so (laughs) so bam take us through growing up in fayette county and just your high school ball your high school coach i got a chance to get to know him um in my recruiting role at georgia and uh i don't know if there's been a coach that oozed more about a player um oh yeah than your coach did about you so um why don't you just give us a little uh, rundown on on growing up in Fayette County and also high school ball? Well, well, going back to high school, he probably talked me up because me and like one other dude are the only you know prospects that ever come out of this place ever. So he probably didn't have much ever else to talk about. Um, but but in terms of you know growing up here in a, in the Atlanta area, I play I played everything like like every every single sport, and so my first love was baseball. Um, and I was for sure, for certain, like thought I was going to go to the MLB, you know, this is like the nineties and Ken Griffey is like King. And I, I wanted to be Ken Griffey wearing number 24. I had his cleats, you know, I had the backwards hat and all of that type of stuff. And so baseball was like, like King for me. And, um, I didn't really start playing football until I was like 10. Um, but I play, I play uh, running back. And so my my favorite player on the football field was Barry Sanders. And so I wanted to be Barry on the field and Ken Griffey when I was, you know, playing baseball. And so I always kind of had people I wanted to mimic my game after. And I feel like for football, you know, Barry was like a smaller, compact dude, shifty. And so um, running back just came naturally, natural to me. And then, um, then being a kid in Atlanta, in comes Michael Vick, like right in 2000. 22 21 and so I think I'm in like sixth or seventh grade and I was just like enamored with how he just kind of transformed the city because you know the Falcons were awful they've always been awful up until my whole life all of our whole lives and so you know seeing Vic like I wanted to play quarterback then and I think um that's probably when I started taking football a little bit more serious um because that was like around ninth grade. And then I, I played varsity in ninth grade. I couldn't, I, I couldn't, I shouldn't have been playing varsity. I shouldn't have been playing quarterback. I couldn't throw the ball at all. I was just athletic. And, um, and we ran the option. And so, um, you know, between, you know, basketball, football, and, and baseball, those were kind of my three things. And I, I kind of had to choose, you know, which ones I wanted to move forward with and I my parents have spent a ton of time taking me around Atlanta and the nation uh to basketball tournaments so I I had to drop my King Griffey dreams and uh and so I stayed with basketball and football hence the the dunk video that you saw um very explosive but I couldn't shoot um and then on the court on the field I couldn't throw so I I had (laughs) I had to work with what I what I had which was my quickness 
and my explosiveness. So, um, yeah, man. So yeah, out athleting people. Yeah, out out athlete people exactly one thousand percent. So me and Daniel grew up playing church basketball together. So Daniel seen me play church basketball, and uh, I think I led the league in uh, steals and missed layups and broken noses. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, just being a DB, you know, just, uh, sitting back and, uh, taking it coast to coast, but I had a, I had a little, pr- little trouble stopping and, uh, putting on the brakes. Stills and miss layups. <laughs> that's a good, that's a great correlation. <laughs> well, you seem like the type of guy that is going to be good at whatever he tries. Um, golf, for instance, I know you play a little bit of golf. Um, tell us about how you approach that game and, um, how you uh, do on the links i've had to work extremely hard and i think that's the beauty of it like i think that's why i love it so much right is, is like you, obviously you're done with your sport that you've dedicated your whole life to but you still got that competitiveness in you and that competitive juice and so um you, you want to kind of perfect something that is not attainable like you know you can never perfect the game of golf and um and that's why i love it right like i think that's why we all love it and so um, you know, I'd probably say in the last four years, three to four years, I've like taken it seriously. And I think probably everybody will say like their biggest regret about that is just not starting earlier, you know, not being able to play that game earlier. Um, but, but then again, it's also like it, golf is expensive and it takes a ton of resources, right. To, to be good at it or to have somebody introduce you to it as a kid. And so, um, the people that are good at it and, and, and like, are you know on tours or whatever they're doing making money from it like they had somebody that introduced them to the game early and they had the resources to do that and i and i I would i would say my parents probably would have but i think um at this point in my life i'm i think maybe that's a passion of mine maybe moving forward is to like introduce people to the game of golf that maybe would love it and not that they just don't have the resources to do so you know what i'm saying yeah i tell you golf golf's a great game um you know my wife Elizabeth and I—that's kind of something we've bonded over. When the the weather's right, we'll go out and play. Uh, mind you, I know I am from Augusta, but don't get it twisted. I'm not good People at golf. Just assume you're good at golf when you're from Augusta. Yeah, I mean, of course, but no, I I, I can uh, assure you I'm not. Um, if I get around the the course, bogey double bogey maybe a triple here and there, like yeah, I'm, I'm feeling pretty cocky about it hey that's better than like 90 percent of the people in the world but um you know it's something we enjoy doing together but i think the thing with golf that's so crazy is it's such a mental game like you're not worried about the man or the woman in front of you like it is you and only you and so that makes it tricky man like it it gets hard yeah and i i honestly think like it's it kind of puts it in perspective of of every sport though, like if you play, if you play golf and, and you, and, and you're old enough to, to understand like how mental the game is, that's, that's, that translates to everything. Cause even on the field, man, it's just you, it really is just you. Like, and I think for, for me and my mindset, and I probably can correlate it to more like returning kicks and punts, right? Like, like you gotta be crazy enough to be okay that somebody might time it up perfectly and smack you. And you may get hurt, but if you but if you do catch it and they don't hit, like if the first person doesn't hit you, most times you're gonna get about 10, 15, 20 yards. And so like it's it's all mental, man. And I think um um I I, I think after probably my second year in the league, and I I know I'm probably jumping around, but like the mental the mental part of the game 
it's something I tried to focus on a little bit more than the physical part. Like you said, as, as you always try to out athlete people as, as a young teenager. And then, you know, you get to a place even at Georgia where everybody is, is just as good athletically and physically. And then that, that mental part is the, the biggest part where if you have, you know, enough emotional maturity to understand it, like you'll, it'll take off for you. And you see the guys that can come in early and, and be successful. And I think a lot of that is just the mentality. Well, you always had good instincts on the field and uh, also off the field, but you're coming up in Fayette County, um, you know, obviously playing quarterback, you mentioned, um, talk to us about a little bit about the transition from uh, high school ball to college, you know, high school ball being a cut above everybody and then getting to where there's a little bit more of an even playing field. Um, I want to say you were another number when you got to Georgia. Were you number 20? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my freshman year, I wore number 20. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, take us through that, you know, just grinding as a freshman and that transition from high school ball to college ball and what that was like. And, uh, you know, were you fish out of water or how that transition was for you? Uh, well, yeah, kind of like I told you guys, I mean, I was being honest when I told you that, like, there weren't a lot of people from my school or my county that, like, made it to, you know, top Division One level football. And so um, it was kind of an anomaly. I had me and another one of my, like, my best friend, his name is Matt Daniels. He, uh, he had offers everywhere. He decided to go to Duke <laughs> to play football. Um, but that's a whole other story. But now he's a, uh, he's a head special teams coach for the Minnesota Vikings. So it was just me and him, right? And we, we kind of carried the team. And so I, I think for me as a, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-old, I just always had like this supreme confidence that I was going to be the best player on the field no matter who it was. Like no matter who's on the field, I'm better than everybody. And I, and, and I think that that mentality is kind of just something I, you know, maybe kind of was groomed with just through coming – through Atlanta kind of because I mean we we in my region here it was you know we had Cam Newton the year before me and Eric Berry and, and like we we got some ballers here and so it's like you 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 either it's barbecue or mildew you you know there's no there's no there's no time for for uh anything else and so my mindset was always that like I'm the best and I'm gonna go out here and prove it and um I had to because we didn't have the exposure of like these other schools because we didn't have anyone before me that was doing it. And so I think me and Matt kind of carved that path. And then, like you said, um, getting recruited, I started getting recruited as a defensive back, even though I was playing quarterback and safety. Um, And my first offer was Ole Miss. And I'll never forget, like Ed Orgeron was the head coach at the time. (laughs) And he called me. Yeah, I, I, I had never. Like, I never heard from them, not, never talked to him. He just, like, called me one random night. I actually called my mom's phone and was like, hey, Brandon, how would you like to be an All-American here at Ole Miss? Brandon's like, is this a prank call? I know. And, I, and I'm like, I'm like, okay. He's the cool. leader in the you know, clubhouse. Like, Ole Miss, never, never considered it, but it's my only offer right now. So I was like, I was ready to commit, you know. <laughs> I'm like, I'm ready to commit. And so um, my brother – my brother is like five years older than me and he um he played professional basketball in Europe and he uh he was kinda like helping me through that throughout the process because he, he got recruited in basketball, right? He's like, No, like you're not gonna commit yet. Um, next offer was like Georgia Tech. I had a, a guy brother named Tashar Choice that played running back at Georgia Tech and I'm always on their campus 
So Georgia Tech offers you. You know how kind of as a as a prospect when like when one school offers you, it kind of just like starts rolling in, right? And so I, I start getting offers: Ole Miss, Georgia Tech, Auburn, uh, you know, Duke, everybody. And um, my brother was kind of in my ear. This was my junior year. He was just saying like, you you know, just wait, just kind of wait. You're just you know, you just turned a junior. Don't 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 rush the process. And I hadn't heard from Georgia yet, right? And so it's funny that you talked about that dunk contest video because I sent Willie Martinez and Coach Rick uh, my highlight tape, and it it didn't have any defensive clips on it. All it had was like quarterback stuff and that dunk contest that <laughs> that you guys were talking about. And so I so my dad sent the highlight tape off to Georgia with quarterback highlights and a dunk contest, and then a week later they sent me back in the mail an official offer. I, I out-athleted everybody enough to get <laughs> to get there, I guess. Well, the best athletes in high school always are touching the ball. Right. Um, yourself, for example. But, um, you know, you look at any of the, the greats, um, whether the DB or, you know, quarterback like Vic or Allen Iverson comes to mind, a guy that was balling in high school. But exactly. uh, those guys, if they're not scoring touchdowns, you got to be asking yourself why why they're not touching the ball. I mean, there's certain places, certain programs where you can afford to play a guy at corner, but um, like at a big big school like a Hoover or Norcross. But generally yeah. speaking, I mean, the, those athletes, the best – the best, the coach is going to put the, the the ball in the, the best athlete's hands. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you're a great example of that. Um, at Georgia, I mean, you're, it, it speaks to your versatility. I mean, Paul Hornig Award winner, most versatile player in the nation. Um, and you obviously get some touches. I mean, I, I know – um, thinking back about you um, getting in Coach Bobo's ear, uh, talk a little bit about that and um, what it was like trying to get touches um, on offense. No, I had to beg him. I begged him for three. I begged him for three years, right? Like, like the only reason I actually um, started returning kicks was because Richard Samuel, who was our running back one year, he got a concussion, right? And so they threw me back there in practice, and they were like, "All right, you know, we'll give him a, a chance." And so the, this was like in camp the next week was the game. And so they just threw me back there. And like my, my first one ever, I returned for a hundred yards and, <laughs> and, the, and the rest was history. So I, I guess that was meant to be, but it wasn't like they were looking at me to have a ball in my hands. Right. And so uh, I had to, I had to beg Bobo to, to get there. And then, uh, yeah, I was going to leave after my junior year and, and coach Rick, me and him, you know, had a conversation and ultimately we decided it was best for me to come back. And I told him like, look, coach, if, when I, while I'm coming back, man, I, I want I want to have the ball in my hands a little bit. So more. when you say leave, and, is that uh, uh, like leaving for the NFL draft or yeah, transferring yeah. to another school? No, I was gonna leave and 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 go to the to the uh, NFL draft, which uh, I'm glad I didn't do that. And and I think God kind of orchestrated that because I had prepared like this speech in my mind that I was gonna say to Coach Rick and like I'm. You know, the season's over. We we lost the bowl game, but I won, like, defensive player of the game that year or something. And so I'm like, you know, my my stock's high, so I'm, I'm going to leave. And I called Coach Rick and told him all this, and he, and, and I was expecting him to say okay, you know, or, or something, but he just, like, was silent and was like, I think you should reconsider the son and, and call me back. And I, and I, and I, <laughs> He's so patient <laughs> and puts it back on you. Right, right. And it's just pray about, why don't you pray about this, Brandon? It's right. That's exactly what he said. And it, and it shook me up, man. And like, I wasn't expecting to hear that. And then that same night, like a blizzard came to Georgia. It had never like snowed. So we got snowed into Athens. So I was stuck there for like three days. 
and just thought about it and obviously ended up being like the absolute best decision I could have ever made. But um, it's crazy how that happened. Yeah, man, that's definitely somebody knocking at your door trying to tell you something. Yeah, no question. <laughs> I do remember that you getting in Coach Bobo's ear about touches and uh, I was coming around. I was getting my foot in the door, but I was mostly working with the D-line. I was over there with Kwame, D'Angelo, Avery, B. Wood. Dobbs was always cutting up. And, uh, you know, I fit right in with those guys. I know it looks like I played D-line and all. But, uh, yeah, I love those guys and miss them. Yeah, man. So what was it like getting to Georgia? I mean, you get out there and uh, you're lining up next to a guy – uh, number eight, you know, pedestrian wide receiver, you know, um, what was it like lining up against, uh, old AJ Green? Um, it was, it was probably the best thing I could, I could ever ask for as a, as a defensive back, um, to have somebody that's going to probably end up in the hall of fame right at this time. Well now, but like the, the best college receiver in the nation, um, in my in my class, somebody I get to go up against every single day, <clears throat> and uh, man, we had battles, and I'd be lying if I said like I got even fifty. It was even fifty fifty. Like he was he was eating me up. AJ was eating me up like every probably every day my freshman, maybe sophomore year, just because he's I mean he's AJ right. He's got like forty inch vertical. He's six four. He's catch radius is crazy. He's fast, and so. I think from a confidence level, it was like if I if I can guard AJ, like who who else is gonna get past me? Who else is gonna beat me? We talk about just going against the best in practice and walking on the field with that supreme confidence that you're gonna win every rep, and going against a guy like AJ in practice. Yeah. I mean, him coming out, he was arguably the best receiver in college. I mean, I know him and Julio came out at the same time, but uh, just absolutely stud. No doubt. I mean, when you spend your days at practice getting reps in against a guy like AJ and then it's it's game time on Saturday or Sunday yeah. later in life uh you kind of look across the field and you're like well I've, I've practiced against this guy so what what does this guy got for me I mean yeah you're it's a the level of confidence is just totally uh totally solidified at that point yeah no so, so I mean that was a tremendous blessing having him and, and you know AJ is like the type of dude he doesn't say anything he just comes to work and and like DBs, nobody really – it was a couple guys, me and Prince Miller, but nobody really wants to go up against AJ because they don't want to be on film getting embarrassed. And then you got to go to position meetings, right, and, and see it. And so me and Prince are just like, hey, we will take every rep. So we do one-on-ones every day, Ben, you know that. And so it's like I got five, six, seven, eight, nine reps against AJ every single day in one-on-ones looking at every route. And um, and and my like like I said, the confidence level you get when you go against somebody like that is is uh, just on another level, man. And so I, I absolutely could attribute you know some of the success on the field and and just the mental you know capacity to to be next play and not worry about it to to going up against guys like him. And then I say like Muhammad Masterquah, right? Like T- Tavares King. There's there's a lot of guys that came in that class that uh you know we had a lot of good dudes that i honestly believe we had the same talent or close to what they have now and we you know we probably could have been able to compete for championships as well if if uh, we had these these same set of rules you know maybe playoffs and allowed a couple more teams to be able to play um but we were talented yeah man i mean over the last you know few years i mean we've had our uh fair share of georgia teams yeah we might have lost a couple of games but by right, the end of absolutely. the year, everything yeah. uh, seemed to gel with the team, and I can promise you nobody wanted to play them. One of my favorite awards they do at Georgia is the Leon Farmer Award. Um, 
but that just speaks to the way you approach the weight room and work, you know, hard work pays off in there. But talk a little bit about that award and what that means to you. That's what's so cool is like, you know, the, I guess the, the Leon Farmer Strength and Conditioning Award goes to uh, the, not necessarily even just the strongest, but like your team leader, your person that, that kind of uh, gives you that example of that, that strength and that resilience and, and that all of that kind of encompassed in one. And so for me to win that and your name goes on the trophy that's always in the weight room, uh, that's cool. That's probably like one of, you know, my biggest accomplishments at Georgia because like I wasn't always a weight room warrior. I wasn't always muscular and strong. I came in scrawny, like 155 pounds, you know, and like um, quickly realized like I, my speed is not enough. <laughs> like I got to I got to figure this out. And so um to, to go from, you know, there in 08 to finishing in 11 and, and being, you know, the recipient of that award and team captain and, and being probably pound for pound one of the strongest dudes on the team, like that's that's the development that you want, right? Um, physic, physically, but 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 it also kind of shows the development mentally and and, uh, and and emotionally to to kind of have that leadership quality and, and, and do the things necessary to to see the transition and to see yourself move from year to year and get better and stronger, uh, physically and mentally to where like you are a team captain, people, uh, you know, actually care about what you say like that, that, uh, that, that, that award means more than just the weight room. Right. <clears throat> no doubt, man. Yeah. Leadership is definitely earned. Um, but now that you mentioned that, I mean, you're, you're, you know, five foot ten, five eleven. You know, relatively, it's, it's a you know average size guy. I mean, that's how tall I am. So, can you talk to us a little bit about what it's like when you're lined up against a guy that may be six three, six four, super long? Like, how do you get in and and maintain that coverage with a guy that's got that kind of length advantage over you? Um, God bless me with a tremendous ability to jump, and I'll say that. <laughs> That 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 helped a lot, but but even for 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 smaller dudes going up against bigger dudes, I think uh, taller guy. Like what I've realized is like taller receivers don't like for smaller dudes to be up in them, physical with them. You know what I'm saying? Because you're in their chest area where they need to move and maneuver. And so um, I think kind of just understanding when and when not to do it, uh, and then just fundamentals, right? Like you're not gonna always out jump a taller dude but you can always be in position and in phase and and so the things could just control the things that you can and and i think um the best coach i'd say the best coach i ever had was willie martinez um he 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 uh he really prepared me for games like nobody else until i got to the nfl and then i'd say um it was todd bowles but they both kind of had this same mindset that like everybody is a nameless gray face like like don't give anybody any more credit than the next guy right like it's all about what you're doing and your fundamentals and and so I remember like we were going against yeah we were going against team Des Bryant was like my first game starting and he was just yeah he, he was just like you know this this dude is he's gonna do this he's not gonna do this all you got to do is xyz like he just made him seem so pedestrian right <laughs> and and so I'm like okay and I got, and I got to the game and held him to like one catch and we won the game. His mindset is is you know everybody has a skill set right and so you got to kind of figure out what yours is because because they're they because you are on scholarship too right like don't don't give anybody more credit than they deserve and 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 we both 
put our pads on the same way. So so I really appreciated that and, and uh, how he kind of uh, groomed my game for sure. Yeah, Daniel's a big Cowboys fan, so I'm sure he's watching it back in the day, you know, thinking about who the, who's this rookie guy shutting down Dez. <laughs> I don't know if fantasy was big back in the day. Oh, it, it was. Yeah, well. Thanks a lot, Brandon. <laughs> so uh, that conversation with Coach Rick, that got my attention. So take us back to that period when you're weighing the pros and cons and really transitioning from college ball to the pros, but that, that transition period is a lot of meetings, um, a lot of a lot of grinding, working out, but our, our the casual listener here won't know the details that go into that. So if you could just take us back to that frame, uh, that time period, and um, where your head was at going through that process. Oh man, that's a whole like life chapter in itself, right? Because <clears throat> you know, um, kind of having this steady elevation of success at University of Georgia, and like obviously everybody's goal is to get drafted and, you know, go to the combine. Well, go to the combine first and kill it and do amazing things and then get drafted. And for me, um, like y'all talked about, that Outback Bowl was my last game. And so my whole mindset going into there was just to leave it all on the field, try to do as much as I possibly can to help my team win. Had a tremendous game, right? And so, like, obviously draft stock, like, was was through the roof. And so I was probably at that time thinking I was going to go, like, 20th 25 um going through the draft process after that um I play in the senior bowl and and I broke my leg in the game right and so this this is like a a month before the draft and so this is is like probably two months before the draft so I break my leg in this all-star game that you know I you know whether I played in it or not wouldn't have changed things but that 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 uh that same day, I remember telling my mom, like, I just don't feel right. You know, like something, something telling me I shouldn't play. And then my mom and my agent were like, uh, you know, just play the first half and then you can be done. And the last play of the first half, I break my, I break my leg. <laughs> and so, um, and so, man, that, that was a difficult time because I, I had waited four years to go to the combine and I had to just sit and watch it. I had waited four years to, to have my own pro day after watching every other class go through and I had to sit there and watch it and, and, and pray to God that like my draft stock would still be where it was. Right. And so, um, you know, I did all of that type of stuff and draft day comes. And I remember this coach I was training with, who was a former Jets coach. He calls me the day of the draft and he tells me, um, you know, I just want to let you know, like some teams are worried that like your ankle it was really like the bone right above my ankle. So I guess that's still considered your leg. But they were like, he he said that uh, they were worried that it wasn't healing right. So you may fall a little bit in the draft. This was on the draft, the first day of the draft. I'm like, no, why would you tell me? Like, why would you call me the day of the draft and tell me this? So anyway, I'm like, whatever. So I got all these people at my house for the first round because, you know, everybody been telling me like, I'm going to go 20, like in the 20s. <laughs> and so... First day passes, I didn't get picked first round. Uh, the next day, second, third round, I, everybody comes back because they're like, you know, surely you'll get picked that day. Didn't get drafted. And then that was like a crazy day for me, realizing like, wow, you know, like in the span of two months, just everything I've worked for in the last four years has just kind of went south. So uh, long story short, fourth day, I mean, the, the, the last day early in, the, in that day, the Eagles, called and picked me in uh, the early fourth round. And uh, I 
it felt like it, I was the first pick. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it didn't matter when I got drafted just to hear your name and, and the release. It's over. And so I was uh, the only people that were at my house at that time. You know, the party had left and all the, the coolness had faded away. So it was me and my mom, my dad, my brother, and my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. And so I think that day uh, it was special because those were the people that really mattered in, in, in any way, right? And so um, I, 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 uh, I cherish that moment, like being able to celebrate my name being called just with those four people. Um, <clears throat> and so that, that, that whole process uh, put in perspective for me just how everything, you know, doesn't necessarily go according to plan, but it goes according to uh, how God wants things to be aligned for a purpose. And so uh, me being in Philly was probably, I'd say that's my second home. Like I've done so much in that place and I, and I, and I love it. And so like none of that would have happened. I guess it all had to happen that way for me to be there and, and, and be impactful in Philadelphia. And so, um, my my faith really was rooted in that moment for sure. Yeah, man, that's just got to be like such a crazy situation. I mean, you you come out of Georgia, you get drafted by a historically great franchise in the Philadelphia Eagles, and um, you know, for the folks that uh that might not know uh, or watch football closely, uh, Brandon was drafted, and then in his second year in the NFL, he um had six interceptions and was tied for second in the NFL in that category. I mean, that's crazy. So uh, kudos to you, man. And just uh, how does that make you feel? Like how did that feel coming off such a good year uh, only in your second year? Yeah. Um, I think I was still just kind of angry, right? Like I had, <laughs> I think I had this, this chip on my shoulder. You had a chip, not that you needed a chip. Yeah. <laughs> Absolute savage, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, I had a I had a chip on my shoulder for sure. I was angry. I I, I actually had made this list of every corner <laughs> that got drafted ahead of me and I put it above my bed. <laughs> You're and, not uh, bitter at all, are you? Not bitter at all. Not bitter at all. So that that motivated me to have a success in that in that second year. Um, but no, nah, just being in Philly, man, it was like you know Andy Reid was the coach there at the time, and and a guy that I idolized, Vic, was the quarterback there, and we had like a it was a dream team almost. So for me to be in that situation and and kind of like be locker mates with people that I've seen my whole life, it was really, it was cooler than just making it to the league, right? It was like you get to play with people that you idolize, that you grew up in, and 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 so um, outside of that, just being being impactful in the uh, in the community there in Philly, like I I, I had this campaign called Do the Twenty Two because I was number twenty two, and it um, it encouraged kids to read um, for at least twenty two minutes a day, right? Like you know, kids don't have the 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 biggest uh, you know, uh, attention span. And so uh, we went like to from schools and, you know, all across the, the Southeast of Pennsylvania, like doing this campaign. And that was like, that was such an awesome moment and such a cool time because I, I saw the the impact that it had, right? Like the literacy level for kids is, uh, is bad in Philly. And so um, them kind of taking that reading part and putting it together with, you know, a, an actual NFL player or Philadelphia Eagle and, and, and kind of making it make sense to them. That that gave me real purpose um, off the field, um, and, and I felt passionate about that. Yeah, we want to get Malcolm on here to talk about what he's doing with our kids and reading. And, uh, you know, my wife being a first-grade teacher is something that's near and dear to our hearts as well. 
absolutely. Yeah, you talked about overcoming some adversity, breaking your leg, but I want you to talk a little bit about when you got to camp, just that initial just shock factor and, um, you know, anxiety of just making the 53 man of, you know, not wanting to be dropped down to the practice squad. And, uh, you know, nobody wants to get a call from the GM during camp and talk about what it was like getting to camp. And, you know, you talked about getting to Georgia and how it was and you were going against guys that were uh, better than you, you know, obviously than you saw in high school. Um, That's definitely true in in the league too. So talk a little bit about, what it was like in practice and going up against guys every day that are, uh, that are elite. Yeah. I'm, I, uh, I'd be lying to you if I said I had anxiety because um, I think I was so oblivious to like the real business of it at early on that like I, there, there was never a thought in my mind like that I wasn't going to make the team, you know, <laughs> or like be on the 53. But, but contrary to that, like I'll say, there was a guy that was the the nickel corner there. He was there for like nine years, right? And uh, I won't say his name, but um, so I come in as a rookie and everybody's like making these headlines about, you know, the rookie coming in and this guy's been there for nine years. Long story short, they end up cutting him for me. <clears throat> and um, and that's when I was like, whoa, you know, like, okay. Um, like, I'm number one, I'm starting day one. I need to, I need to get ready. And then number two, like this dude's been here for 10 years and he's gone. Like he was my locker mate and I see him every day and now he's gone. And so um, I think the the anxiety started when when it was real for me was when I was a starter. They, you know, like they Andy Reid brought me in and he was like, all right, like we cut, you know, I, we cut Ocilio and you're the guy. So you need to be ready because like I, I think um, I was guarding – Victor Cruz week one and then week two right week one it was Victor Cruz week two it was Larry Fitzgerald yeah so it was like you 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 got to get ready so that's when the anxiety hit me and 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 uh and again the person that that helped groom me for that was Todd Bowles he was just like Willie Martinez in terms of like dude these dudes are no better than you like learn learn what to do and and go out there and play free and and he gave me that ability to do that and so um that it was great like my rookie year was a little a a struggle in terms of like I gave up a good a good amount of passes and maybe a couple touchdowns but like it it helped set the precedence for that year too because you know like year two is everything slows down and kind of got your feet under you but but no for sure like the first five weeks were were very uh grueling because I was guarding like not just regular receivers these dudes were like top in the league yeah I mean in my book uh Larry Fitzgerald, I mean, he's he's one of the greatest ever play. I mean, he's he's up there with goat status. You can argue it all day, yeah. but yeah, like, no question about his it. catch radius and his length and just the way that he would go after and just high point the ball is unlike anything else. And that's what I tell everybody is like they were like, "Who's the hardest you know receiver you ever guard?" And I say Larry Fitzgerald, and it's not because like he's not fast, he's not qu- the quickest, but like. He he knows how to position his body around you to make every catch, and 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 it, and it gets so frustrating because like you're right there every time, and uh and and uh, he 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 knows how to just get get his body in position to, to shield you. So it, it, yeah, his hands are like a damn magnet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who were some guys that kind of looked after you once you got into camp, and uh, maybe you know also guys that you looked after once you were kind of seen as a year two, year three guy? Who were some guys that came after you that you tried to look after um, and just leading by example? 
but uh, just everybody taking care of their own. Well, yeah, I'm, I mean, you you mean like in at University of Georgia? I guess both. I'm um, just thinking about somebody that pushed you both a, both as a player and a person. Yeah, I, I think um, coming into University of Georgia, um, there were a couple guys, and they weren't necessarily defensive guys. Like like I said, Muhammad, Muhammad Masqua has always been like a very high character dude, and I talk to him every week now. We we do stuff together up in Atlanta. So um, he was somebody that kind of understood the transition of become, becoming a college player at Georgia, right? Like the demands of school and then, you know, the anxiety of trying to compete every single day to, to get on the field. And so he, he was, uh, he was, he was critical. Um, you know, guys in our, in our DB room, like Brian Evans, I think Brian was there for like seven years. <laughs> he, he redshirted and, and found a way to stay eligible like seven years. So he was like a super vet. Um, we had a uh, Prince Miller, me and Prince like had like a, a little brother, big brother relationship, but it was, it was all love in the end. And so um, I think that's, that's critical. Like even for today's success, right? Like no team is having success without, without these young dudes that are playing a lot, um, feeling comfortable and, and uh, having the, the mental awareness and the confidence that they can go out there and do it. And so um, I, I did have those guys, but, but more so for me, I was, uh, my family, if I'm being honest, like, like a big part of me going to Georgia was because I wanted my family to be able to see me play every week. And, um, they were pretty close in proximity. So mom, dad, brother, like they all were here every game. And, and so I felt like, you know, even if I didn't have a ton of, uh, friends on a team or whatever you would want to say, even in, in the NFL, like as long as I, I had that, that foundation of, of people in my corner, um, I'd be cool. And and so it's such a, a drastic, uh, you know, contrast in a league. Like, people don't hang out in the NFL, right? Like, they've got families. You got 35-year-old dudes, you know, that you're competing with for a job. And so um, I think me kind of being that for my teammates as I grew at Georgia helped me have, you know, I guess I guess the ability to not need it when I got to the league. Um, but 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 one person that did help me for for sure when I was in Philly was uh, D'Amico Ryan, like who now now the Texans head coach. Like he, wow, he, Todd he, Bowles, <laughs> Andy Reid, D'Amico Ryan's all um, head head guys. Yeah. You mentioned Momass, love Momass. Um, some really high character guys, and that speaks no, to your yeah, character no as well. But you know, wise men seek wise counsel, and uh, that's you. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd say so. I'd say so specifically because we played for like Coach Rick, right? And so, so that's such a, a different like experience than maybe Kirby or like I, I couldn't really talk on any other school, but like Coach Coach Rick is so like it's black and white, and it's like this is right, this is wrong, like this is the straight and narrow, and it's bigger than football, and so like you kind of get used to like that not necessarily father figure, but like, you know, somebody that that's going to set parameters and they're not going to go past a certain point. Like I never really heard coach Rick yell too often. You know what I'm saying? And then, and then you go to the NFL and it's like, <laughs> it's like a whole, a whole different ball game. And like, and you know that, right? Like you, you're okay with that, but it's like to see it and how a coach may dog cuss a player and then the player dog cuss him back. Like, you know, like get in his face. 
Right, like like we're we're dealing with grown men, and then you got you got some coaches that that played with some of the players, and so it was just like, man, like where like how do I fit into this dynamic? You know what I'm saying? Like, do I want to become a friend to this dude, and then or do like do I want to just keep it coach player, or like do I need to act a little bit more? uh you know mature for them to not make me feel like I'm a rookie or or a child it's 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 a it's a lot to kind of to kind of digest but but I think the the thing that kind of neutralizes all of that is just your play on the field right like like that, nobody's going to babysit you and and when you get on the field like you that's where you earn your respect and you know you can you can kind of navigate your relationships after that but but I I'm saying that in a roundabout way to say there are some crazy dynamics and there's some crazy things I've seen in the league. And even, and even with me, like I, I had a coach I absolutely did not like in the league and I went public to ESPN and, and like it, it was a national story and it got like blown out of proportion, but Hey, it, I, I, I said what I meant and felt at the time. And I, I don't really regret it, honestly. And, I, and that coach was Chip Kelly. And he came in from Oregon. He came <laughs> in from Oregon. I forgot Oregon. about that. Yeah, dude. Don't, <laughs> I, I get it. I'm not a big Chip fan either. Hey, we're going to have to dig out some uh, old articles about this. I had almost forgotten yeah. about that, but now that you bring yeah, it up, Chip, Chip came I in from recall. Um, But, you know, those NFL coaches, they've got the ultimate leverage because they start dipping into your pocketbook a little bit, messing with the money. Yeah. Yeah, and at that point, it's like they're putting their hands in the pot that's in your house. Like, that's I right. mean, that's yours. Right, right, Yeah. Yeah, we we had this thing in Philly where like um you know, we were we were the Philly, like we were the Eagles and so defensively you couldn't wear sleeves out. Like you couldn't wear long sleeves in the game. It didn't matter how cold the game, how cold it was. If you wanted to wear sleeves, it was like 10k to wear sleeves. You had to put the, <laughs> you had to put the money in like a a player pot. And so we were in we were in Green Bay one game and I'm cold as hell. Like I'm so cold. It's like negative it's like negative 8 but I don't, I don't want to pay to wear sleeves. So I'm out there with no sleeves. Right. And so, um, it got, it got like negative, I think it got like negative 10 and, uh, and I always hated playing in the, in the cold, but I think that was a game that conquered it for me, but it was all because I didn't want to pay. <laughs> that's culture. No, nah, that, that's not culture, Brandon. You're crazy as hell. Man, you think that's about culture, some of the great man. defenses you think about, um, the groundwork you guys laid in Philly, you think about, um, the Ravens, the Steelers, um, just some good tradition there. But a lot of it is social culture. Georgia's got that right now going on. But, I mean, thinking um, about how you transitioned to the Steelers after Philly was unique. I mean, the fact that it was in the same state, that's not something I've thought, of, thought a lot about. But uh, talk a little bit about that transition and what it was like yeah, going yeah. From, uh, to, from Philly to, to Pittsburgh. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I wasn't excited. I wasn't excited to go to Pittsburgh because um, I got tra I got traded there like the you know the first day of camp essentially, and like I had told you, I had like established so much at that point. It was basically like year four. I had established so much in Philly at that point that I was like, you know, mad. Like I didn't want to leave, and and so um, that's the business of football. So like um, because I was in state, I actually drove drove to Pittsburgh. <laughs> I drove to Pittsburgh the next day. And when I got there, I had to practice in full pads. Like I'll, I'll never forget it. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a hard transition in that in that year specifically. Um, but the culture in Pittsburgh was a lot different in Philly because they were used to like winning, you know, they were used to like, they had this historic 
culture of like winning. And so they didn't necessarily panic when they were losing, which was completely different than Philly. Like, you know, we, <laughs> we could lose one game and we, you know, we were hearing booze and we suck. And then, you know, we ended up winning the game and then everybody's happy in Philly. Like it's Philly is so extreme. And, and, and then, uh, and Pittsburgh is more so just like, they're just chilling. Like, they know, you know, playoffs. Well, when when football matters, they they'll 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 be fine. And so, um, I enjoyed my time there. Um, contrary to like you know public opinion, Antonio Brown was fun to play with because like I I guarded him every day, and I I'd say he's the hardest worker I've ever seen in my life. Like no no one no one prepares like Antonio Brown. You can say what you want about him off the field, how crazy he is. The dude should be a Hall of Famer. I've never seen anyone prepare like he does. And, and, and like he, uh, I, I have all the respect in the world for him as a football player because the man prepared the absolute right way every single day. I know what you mean. I had a chance to watch those guys work out. Roethlisberger met him over at our facility several years ago. And, uh, man, you talk about get, getting after it. And I, I see it every day. Um, you know, the way our guys attack the day and, uh, hard work goes to work. And, um, yeah, that's something the greats don't shy away from. You talked about your family and the role that's played on, um, you know, your your entire career. But, uh, you know, I guess this is an off-the-field, on-the-field question. I mean, it, it both can apply, but what's your why? What drives you? How do you uh, make decisions? Um, and, and what really um, pushes you to, uh, you know, your direction? And uh, I guess what's your why? I'd say um, I'd say purpose for me is is like it's it's something you're continuous continuously trying to discover. Uh, I, I know for me, I think at, at at a particular time, purpose for me was was trying to get every ounce of my athletic you know ability and prowess to its peak, and and um, you know everything that came with that. But now I, I'd say. A lot of my purpose is 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 kind of tied to my foundation and my family. My foundation, meaning uh, like what what I feel like my my DNA and my character was built on, which was family and, and my faith and doing doing what I know is 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 right in my heart, right? Like I think um, when I was in you know in the league, there was so many things I was chasing whether you know it was accolades or the next contract or all of these type of things and I and I feel like I never fully was present in in a lot of situations and so um I can specifically remember like being in Philly having that successful year and like not even just enjoying that and like realizing how awesome that was I was like looking for the next contract and stuff you know and then I got traded and then I was missing Philly and so I think um I think kind of purposefully now that I do is like just be in the moment, man. Be be in this moment that I'm in and this season that I'm in of, of life and kind of be content in it, but but not complacent, right? Like like right now, I'm I'm here, I'm a I'm a I'm a dad, I'm new dad and trying to figure it out. And I'm gonna be in this place and try to be the best that I possibly can, not wait, not you know, not trying to do something else. And so um I guess to answer the question, like it's 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 ongoing for me. I think I think uh, purpose is, is really tied to uh, being in the right mind and in the right place spiritually and 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 uh, for me right now I feel like I'm there 
I feel like I'm I'm there more than I ever was when I was playing, more than I ever was when I was, you know, on Sports Center highlights or doing all of this type of stuff. And and uh, you know, I think it's more fulfilling when when you kind of have the 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 I wouldn't say mindset, but just the the spirit of like calmness and awareness to go with like those things, right? Because they can ruin everything if you if you're not there. And I think now I am, right? I wouldn't say that I was in my in my twenties or even my late my late twenties. Yeah, and I mean, uh, who could expect you to be? Um, you've got such a unique perspective to life that most folks, um, just the average person listening to us, they're not going to have that. Um, I mean, for you, you went from college and then go into an organization like the NFL. And then once that time's over from the NFL back to trying to get back to the regular world, it's like you've lived multiple lives at that point. Exactly. By the, by the age of like 29 or 30. Right. Which is, yeah, you've seen it all, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and so, uh, you know, I guess seeing all of that and experiencing all of that by 30, it kind of, it kind of gives you an, an edge in a certain way, but it also puts you at a disadvantage, right? Cause you've worked so hard your whole life for one thing, but you've also experienced things, I guess, materially, physically that people have worked for their whole life. And you, and you get to the point when you realize like, dog, it's all, it's all empty. It, none of it matters. <laughs> none of it matters. Right. Like well, how none. does becoming a dad impact that mentality? I, th- I think, uh, I think it gives me kind of like the freedom to to allow my my son to carve out his own path, right? Like, like I I think one thing I'm gonna do, like he, I honestly don't want him to play football unless he's a quarterback. Like I don't want him to be a corner because I was a corner. I don't want him to play sports. If, you know, if he if he doesn't want to, he can do absolutely anything that he wants to do. And I think you know, just my life experience of of of, of being in that spotlight or being at the pinnacle of whatever you know that sport is is like you know do it for the love of it and and uh and i'll guide you to be the best you can possibly be and have the the longevity to do you know and have the resources to do it but uh just do what makes you happy man because because i actually know a lot of dudes that are playing that ain't that, that don't necessarily want to play but they, they want to stay connected to whether it's the lifestyle or you know something that they've kind of gotten used to and and uh like i said it's all empty well i gotta tell you brandon i'm really impressed by what you're doing and uh how you've handled the transition from life in football into life back in the normal world uh you know it's not a knock on other athletes but you know we all hear so often the struggles of athletes making that transition back to the quote unquote normal life and uh you've seemed to really find a way to do that and handle that with a lot of grace and the impact that you are now and continuing to make in your community um, is just wonderful to see, man. So hats off to you. Uh, it's just really impressive. Appreciate it, brother. Um, yeah, I think that was that was kind of always the goal, right? Like not, you know, not to to make that your identity and knowing that it's always bigger than that. So I think that's, you know, tribute to the family and how I grew up. And so, um, you know, I aspire to, to do the same, right? Like, because – yeah. And one day it's going to end. Right. But, but you, you know, who, how you were along the way and what you've done and how you treated people and, you know, the, the person that you are will, 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 will last and sustain. And so, you know, I don't think that I would even be associated with being or be at UGA if, 
if uh, if it was just because I was a great good football player, right? Like, um, you know, these these relationships are 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 connected forever because of who we, I think who we are as people, and and we you know we got like minds and 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 like faith and and uh, you know want to truly see other people succeed and do the right thing by people, and so um, I'm grateful for that. <clears throat> God, there's so much to cover, um, so much I still want to ask you. Um, we'll have to have you on another time, man. But this has been a pleasure. Is there anything that you've got planned that's coming up that you'd want our listeners to know and be tracking with you? Uh, yeah, man, I, I feel like we got we got so much more to unpack. We probably have to do a part two and, like, you know, maybe do it, do it sometime soon. But um, for me um, – I'd say probably I we me and Chris Burnett we actually have a podcast. It's called UFR Under Further Review, and we've had a lot of guests on. So maybe y'all have to come on ours. But we 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 had to put it on hold a little bit because life got crazy. Chris uh, is like working for Chick Fil A corporate, and he's like quickly become a big dog. And he had a kid, and I had a kid, and we, we had a lot going on. And and so uh, you know I think yeah we'll, we'll pub that another time. But under further further review. <clears throat> Chris is a great guy. Yeah, we'll definitely push it out. I mean, we're just getting this. Uh, we're just getting the groundwork <laughs> laid on this thing, but uh, we'll definitely push it out to our our many followers and listeners. Uh, we'll be sure to do that for you. Yeah, uh, yeah, man, this is cool. This this is awesome. I'm, I can't wait to uh, to hear how y'all y'all edit it and cook it up because I know we we touched on a lot of subjects, but uh, definitely would love to come back, man, and, and uh, you know. And in any way I can help, you know, I'm, I'm always here to do so and uh, appreciate what y'all doing, brother. Yeah, man, I tell you, it's, it's so awesome that you took the time to sit with us today and, and chat with yep. us. Uh, so appreciative. I was uh, kind of low key bragging to some of my buddies back home leading up to having you on today. And uh, when I told them that Boykin was going to be on the podcast, they were definitely jealous, man. So we definitely appreciate it, man. And uh, just Thank you for your time, and also thanks for all that you're doing in the community. Oh, man, this has been awesome. Uh, thanks, man. Thanks for coming on, and uh, I'll see you soon. I'll see you at work, and I uh, appreciate you, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. And uh, <clears throat> BB knows this about me, but um, I'm a bit of a, a sports nerd and a little bit of a child myself with that, so thanks for letting me nerd out for the last hour with you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks, man. See ya. See y'all. You have a good week. What's up, y'all? This is Daniel with Carry the Mat Podcast. Just want to thank y'all again for joining us in our conversation with former UGA dog and Philadelphia Eagle, Brandon Boykin. Y'all be sure to give Brandon a follow on Twitter. His handle is at Brandon Boykin2. And follow his podcast under further review. They also have a Twitter page for that, and you can find it by searching at UFRPod. So we have decided that we're going to start dropping Carry the Map podcast every other week. So like and follow us on Insta at Carry the Map and follow the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Until then, keep grinding, y'all.